0: Lee Whitehorn, 44 years of age, father of two, married to Laura, siblings, Luke, Jay, Rachel and Jane. Uh, One father, two mums. That's me in a nutshell, footy coach. I uh, look at myself as just the average, everyday, run-of-the-mill bloke. Why am I here today? Um, To talk about my diagnosis um, that I received, not great with dates, but I'm going to say about six weeks ago, Um, and I was diagnosed uh, initially with a lesion, which I think is a nice word initially for a tumour or cancer, and I was diagnosed with a diffused glioblastema.
1: All right, welcome everyone to uh, a new episode of the C Word podcast. And I think first and foremost, uh, apologies for the delays, I guess, between releasing these episodes. I was just having a look at the uh, episode dates and the last one was back in August. So um, there's been a fair bit that has gone on since then, but let's, uh, let's kick off with episode number five in January, 2023. My name is Luke. I'm here with my brother, Lee. G'day, Lee. How you oh, doing? Yeah, good. <laughs> Amazing. Yeah. And we wanted to catch up because it has been some time. Mm. In terms of going through this, there's a fair bit to cover off, but let's at least give a high-level summary to maybe take us through Just to a our synopsis. conversation that happened early December, I think it was when we had a conversation of that last update. But prior to that, we were post-op conversation last time. You'd had the operation. And I think not long after that, you even came off chemo and had a change in your MRI scans and so on. So from there, give us the update, mate.
0: Okay. So I had the surgery and at that point in time, I was informed that the surgery had gone very well. The doctor's assessment was... Appeared as though the cells were dying effectively. So it sounded like it was tracking in a really good direction. Everything was reducing. It was great. Felt fantastic. I think I broke the record for being released from a hospital after four days.
1: Yeah, 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 yeah. I don't know if we, did we speak about that in the last one? That was really, you were just, you just whipped it around.
0: Well, who wants to be in a hospital? like to be honest. <laughs> so you do whatever you can cool. um, to yeah. make sure you're out as quick as you can. and. Uh, and back home in your bed, and um, so I had that felt great. Went back to football. Everything uh going swimmingly. Went through the back end of the football season. Won a premiership. Outstanding. And then later in the year, I had um, I woke up one morning and I had uh, like severe headache. Uh, I don't know what time it was. It was. I'm gonna say it was around three o'clock in the morning, something like that. And I can only liken it to when you've had the biggest weekend of drinking and you've got that headache where you just can't lift your head off the pillow because it hurts. Mm. It just hurts. The only other difference is that my vision and everything was compromised and Laura was doing a morning shift. She'd just started and so I was at home with the two boys and I was going to walk them to school and I sort of went and laid down for a little bit separate from max and thought i'll just let this lot roll through hopefully it's just a a headache and will pass but it wasn't i just kept going i rang laura couldn't get in touch with her because she was working the area she was working in they're not allowed to have a phone on them and i called my dad dad came around then laura rang i answered the phone but apparently i wasn't making much sense an ambulance was called and I was taken to Flinders. I went and had an MRI then and quite an extensive one. And I was feeling fine. And I thought, yeah, I'll be out of here a like, lot straight away. Mm. Um, and I was only there for one night, but um, came back and... Some doctors have got a really nice demeanour about them and some are just... Um, just don't. <laughs> and the one that came round to deliver me my news had the demeanor of a rock he basically walked in the room and said here's the lady from oncology she's got your medicine to issue we can't do anything more for you this is now a grade four which is the highest grading that you can get for a tumor a brain tumor and yeah we can't do anything more for you but you can go home and And that was it and i sort of sat there and went that's a lot to take in
1: for context, up until this point, you'd had your final scans from that previous one come out post-op. You'd stopped chemo, right, up until till this point. You'd kind of stopped majority of the meds or were you doing some
0: still? Uh No, I was still doing my anti-seizure medication. Anti-seizure, yeah. Yep. The chemo, yes, you come off for that period. I guess they want to see how everything goes and, mm. and whether or not they need to do that because the reality is if there's no need for medication, the doctor's don't want to do it. They're reluctant to do it because it takes a toll on the rest of your body. Um, Mm. And they don't want to do that. So they've defined balancing acts, I suppose, Mm. um, on their end.
1: So they'd gone from what we'd had you're on anti-seizure, you weren't doing any chemos, taking a rest for that moment. And then this point of, before you saw this um, wonderful doctor, this situation happened ahead of when you were scheduled to go in for an updated MRI, right? Yes. you had like a period of time between it. So yeah. this is, we're feeling good. We're in that space. Then mm-hmm. boom, wake up, really bad headache here. And now you're told, actually, we're right back up there again, stage four, here's some meds. It's just go home and, you know.
0: Yep. All brain cancers are considered terminal. And when I say terminal, that's, you never go into remission. It's the only mm-hmm. cancer where you don't go into remission, ever. So you know that, you know, there's an end date somewhere. Mm-hmm. It's just how far you can take that end date, I guess. Mm-hmm. And I was at a stage where I was, yeah, feeling really good and it was going great. And then and then this happened and I got that news and Laura was picking me up later that afternoon. But I just, I had to get out of the hospital. I was very anxious, but I was also quite angry. Mm. Um, I was angry at the doctor just due to his delivery of the news. (laughs) I was like, thank Mm. you very much, mate. Um, And I was just. What else? What else were you angry at? Oh, just, you know, you just think, why was it going so well? It was going great. Mm. And then this, in six weeks, in a timeline of six weeks,
1: Mm.
0: it's gone from, we think it's going fantastic. Two, this is now as bad as it gets. Mm. So it's hard to wrap your mind around that time frame that things can escalate that quickly. Mm. So I left the hospital and I thought, I'm just going to get an Uber. I'm going to tell Laura, don't worry about it, I'll get an Uber. Mm. By the time I got downstairs, I realised I'd left my phone upstairs, so I had to go back up. (laughs) Uh, In that time, the hospital had rung Laura and said, uh lee's left the hospital but he's left his phone here (laughs) laura freaked out and was like what's going on i went back up got my phone they didn't tell me they would spoken to laura then i left then i spoke to laura she said what are you doing what what's happened i said look i'll tell you it later but i'm just going to start heading home i'm going to get an uber only to find out that i can't remember what the day was there was an event on but my Uber was going to cost me one hundred and seventy-five dollars, so I thought I'm not going to get the Uber. Um, I'll wait for Laura, which is
1: ridiculous.
0: I'll just wait for my wife. Yeah. So I waited for her, and and I didn't want to tell her in the car, but she knew that it wasn't something wasn't right. And I told her this is like what, what they had said, and it was quite hard to get all the way home and not sort of break down. Mm. Um, but we got home and I did what I usually do and go, I'll wait until I hear from the head of neurology so I can get it mm. definitive.
1: You came home from the hospital what day? And then when were you meeting with neurology?
0: Oh, uh, look, I, I think there was about a, a week in between.
1: So you just had a week of sitting? Sitting waiting, in the sort of, yeah, like... Um, And where'd your headspace go during that time? Because considering we've spoken a lot about that level of optimism, you've been in a situation, you've been handed with a lack of empathy, some information that has just kind of exploded your mind. You didn't have the full set of information, but you still had that week in between. Where did you go there?
0: I kind of did play that um, naive until I hear it from the big boss, until I hear it in, I guess, the terms that I understand and and so forth. I'm not even going to absorb the information that this other guy's given me. Then, yeah, the doctor, the head of neurology, that deal particularly in the area that I've got, the tumour, probably in his first minute of conversation said, there's nothing that we can do. This is now about quality of life and not about longevity. And... You don't break down in front of the doctors because you just go. And he was really nice. He 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 spoke really well and he said, you know, these are some things we can do and so forth. And I was like, okay, no worries. And we left and and then we got out to the car. And then I just remember thinking, oh, this just is not right. Like it's mm. not fair. And I think I just broke down and apologized to Laura because I just felt, why have I dragged you through this and I know that sounds silly but I guess that's where my headspace was at I thought you don't deserve this you don't deserve to be pulled through this nor do my kids and then the the following two weeks probably the worst couple of weeks of my life not probably definitely um, without question I've never had anxiety that I know of in my life yeah maybe for an hour or something I've been anxious about something, but I had really bad anxiety and and I was very depressed for a period. I was angry. I didn't know how to let it out. I didn't know what to do. Everything I do is normally solution based, and I try and find a way to how do I get a solution here? How do I work through this? And at that stage, Laura's mum was over. I just remember going out to the backyard and just flopped on the ground. I'd called mum as well, like when I got home and told her. And and that was um, the hardest thing I've ever had to do outside speaking to Laura. And I went outside and just uh, laid down on the ground for probably 15 minutes and just cried. And I couldn't stop. <laughs> I was sort of sitting there and I was laughing halfway through, thinking, What are you doing, you idiot? Just stop. <laughs> stop crying. <laughs> But I couldn't and I just kept going and um, and afterwards I thought, I feel different now. It's like a big release. Yeah. And it probably took me a little bit longer to go, right, how am I going to deal with the rest of this? And I thought, all through this, my mantra has been one of positivity and finding solutions and the, taking the challenge on. And I thought, oh, I can't stop that now. Like, just because of this, I can't stop that. I've got to get back into that space and probably took me a couple of days after that first two weeks, I reckon. And Laura sat me down and said, it's been a shit two weeks. I think she cried most days, like on her own in the shower. I could hear her and it was horrible. And, And she sat me down and she said, we've done really well so far and we're going to continue to do well. So both of us have had enough of being sad about this and negative over the last two weeks. But we needed to do that. So let's get back on track. Let's get our heads back in the space we were in before. I've never had anybody coach me like that. <laughs> I'm normally the coach. So <laughs> she was, um, I know I say it about her often, and it sounds probably biased because she's my wife, but it was um, It was exactly what I needed. And mm. if, I, if I didn't have her, I don't know what to do mm. going through this and and then following that, I had the whole family. Mum jumped on a plane, then you guys jumped on a plane and came down for Christmas, and and that was fantastic. And I probably struggled a little bit through that period, even with you guys there, just because in the back of your head, you're trying to remain positive, but you're also going, what if this is the last Christmas that I've seen my family? After that, I thought, I'm not going to let that language take space in my head beyond here. Mm. What if this is, I'm now just going to go day by day, that's all anyone can do because um, you don't know what's going to happen tomorrow, no matter whether you're ill or not and since then i've been I've been good like I've had good days, my sleep's been good I've started with a little bit of exercise which has been fantastic started with immunotherapy, and that has been good um, mm. I've felt really good post that so I feel like I'm in a good space yep. the right space to be approaching this next phase i suppose
1: i mean i've sat here quietly because we have broken one of our key rules on the c word (laughs) which was no crying in front of lee um which i remember getting that phone call because i got the phone call from mum first quite upset and saying have you spoken to lee and i was like what and i was like okay i just need to call you and have a chat and the conversation at that point because mum was obviously doing her best and kind of going you know i don't know if he'll be able to talk and i was like pfft if I can't ring this guy after the conversations we've had and just have a bloody conversation about this, I was like, then we've got problems. For context of the listeners, you know, then sat there and I think we both just sobbed, really. It's important to acknowledge that part of it because I think people need to know the different types of different stages of grief that people go through in the process. Because as as optimistic as you can be and optimism being, seeking a sense of hope, these um, rather the stabilizing and, uh, and harsh realities that you have to kind of deal with as much as you think you can kind of cruise through it. They're hard, they're difficult. I think the hard part for this one was also from our side kind of going, you said it before going, you've always been solutions-based, right? In terms of, so then all of a sudden your coping mechanism was like, fuck, I don't know what to do because I'm solutions-based, but this is out of my control. And I think that was part of that process as well. For me, I remember sitting there talking and, and the part that, as someone who's kind of been along on the conversation of the journey, the hard part was hearing the lack of hope. I think that's a hard part. And I can imagine other people have that too, where you think you've got all the tools or at least a pretty good handful of tools, but then you hear that person you love on the other end of the phone, just go fuck. And you just sit there and it's just such a, it's a a lot, it's a lot. And I remember that day I was literally talking to you for however long on the phone that afternoon and hung up from you and then I spoke to I think I spoke to Borhan after that and told him to come down come over and see you because he just happened to be in Adelaide which I was unaware of and then spoke to my other brother spoke to Jay our brother and we spoke for a bit and then I had to go to an orange sky shift because <laughs> if I'd cancelled um, all of our friends who are living rough uh, wouldn't have an opportunity to um, utilize the services for the night which I had to go be part of so that was kind of great because it, it very much put it into a space of service and took me out of my headspace and let me go and do it but at the same time it was a lot to process I remember and then I remember kind of that urgency of going or like well what do you do like you want to be spending so much time with someone because you're not sure of what that reality looks like but then you're also you've got your life they've got theirs how do you make sure the time's quality and so yeah, I guess it was a really interesting, and the reason I'm going into it from my perspective is, I guess there's people who would listen to this who are on the other side of it, kind of going, what to expect, or or almost maybe even relating to it, is where you go, I, fucking, I don't know. And I think the interesting part was my response was, what do you want, you know? And that was, and you know, kind of what we got through it was, well, actually, yeah, come down a little bit earlier, and then let's just spend that week. And we had a great week together. Yeah, I remember I had lots of conversations where you and I were just kind of debriefing it all, and um, but I remember seeing. In that period of Christmas when we were together, I remember watching, and I think I brought it up to you a couple of times, but I remember watching and we're having moments of joy, like genuine, the kids are being funny, we're all having a bit of a laugh doing whatever, and I would catch you out of the corner of my eye and you laugh, but then you'd go silent and then you'd just sit there and stare. Where are you at?
0: That space, which I, I don't do anymore, but that space is, I guess... How many moments of joy like that am I going to get? Yeah. Um, and it wasn't long after that where I had to start thinking, stop thinking like that, you know, because it's not a, it just puts you in a space that you don't need to be in, Yeah. regardless of what's happening or what will happen. It puts you in a space you don't need to or you shouldn't be in or it's just not productive. It doesn't do anything for you. And what I've found since then is if I get to a point where I'm, you know, those feelings, those thoughts are coming in and, and I need something, it's normally just a maybe a short cry. And I'll find that the most beneficial thing. But as soon as I've finished it, I've, it's very much like, okay, switch back on. Let's just get back into the process now.
1: Why do you think crying has suddenly played a role now versus what I had before? What's shifted in you How would you describe that?
0: Um, I would say that I've had a very blessed life and I haven't had much to cry about really. I've been very lucky to always be surrounded by amazing people everywhere, Um, have a fantastic friendship group, great family. I haven't had a lot to cry about. You know, I've had a couple of times where I've obviously got to a point and I've cried, but I don't think I've cried like I have through this stage, like properly properly where Mm. you just empty your lungs Mm. because you just need to. It's also part of acknowledgement, I think. One of the things you've got to do when you're going through any grief, particularly with grief like this, is if you can't acknowledge it, you can't deal with it. So having those moments of emotion where you cry and you let it out is part of that acknowledgement. It's like you're not ignoring it, you're going yeah, it's there, it's real, it's happening. But once it's out, it's like, okay, so now what am I doing? I've got to get back to mm-hmm. getting dinner ready or I've got footy training, which I'm back at and it's been amazing, you know, or time with my, my children or my wife or what, you know, get back to the stuff that I know that I love that is part of my, my life and, and makes it a good one. So that's a really hard one to answer about crying because I, you know me, you probably I don't even know if you would have seen me do that before I
1: don't think I don't think really had yeah and I think that was probably the hardest part is when you do have someone who hasn't not in an unhealthy way that I hadn't because you know you've expressed plenty of other emotions but like in a in a way where it's like sometimes it's just not I don't know part of your emotional vocabulary in that way in terms of your your response or reactions at least not to people around you And I think it's interesting because I was having a conversation with the woman I go see from, you know, to have my sessions with my emotional fitness, also known as therapy. Um, And she, Cynthia, amazing. I was telling her the story and I was really upset. And I remember saying, I'm so upset and I'm so worried that hearing how upset you were was you almost giving up. And I used Mm -hmm. those words and she gave some really beautiful insight to go, it's interesting Luke because the concept of the words you're using around giving up also live in the existence of fighting because a lot of the time with cancer and we've used you know you want to fight cancer you know fuck cancer we're gonna go against it rah rah and she goes but what if instead for a moment you could consider that instead of giving up what if he was just surrendering what if it's almost like you've got to allow your body to heal and so therefore get into a space where sometimes the crying, the grief, the the need for the tears out of the body, which she's a beautiful thing to say, you know, your tears are, are, are salted in the same way that you'd put um, that onto a wound. It's almost like it's like the healing part of of the wound of the soul or whatever you're going through, your emotions. And so it was, yeah, a beautiful analogy and something that made me think to go, what if it's a matter of surrender? So I just wonder, like, is that almost that part where you, because the conversation you and I've had is, and I've asked the question and I ask it maybe of you again now while we're on here is where does your mind go in the space of when we're all going to die? Let's just call it out, right? It's a guaranteed thing in the human experience. Every single one of us, everyone listening to this podcast right now, guess what? Death is upon you. It's like, it's going to happen. It's the thing that none of us can avoid. You can't even argue with it. It's a fact, but it's also a part of the human reality. So, when you've been given a situation where it feels finite, where your time feels like all of a sudden you've been told a time frame, whereas I could literally get hit by a bus tomorrow, but I just haven't been told that yet. How does that affect your mind? How does it affect your optimism? How does it, uh, how does it affect your view? Um, and have you kind of surrendered to a little bit of that? That was kind of, I guess, oh, the connecting point from that, from the as opposed to hopelessness, yep. it's rather surrender.
0: Yeah, absolutely. I mean, initially, yeah, I came close to giving up. That certainly rolled through my head because I just thought, and not because I wanted to, because I just thought, geez, what's the easiest thing here? Mm. I, I don't want my wife or my children to endure a long period of suffering. I just don't want that at any point of this. That is my one wish, that whenever whatever happens, that it's quick. And... So I was in that frame of mind where I thought, I've just given up. And then I thought, no, that's not in you. That's not you. I've never done that. Why would I start doing it now? Mm. And and why am I in this frame of mind? And I'm like, well, because you're vulnerable at the moment. And I've got to be okay with that. Um, And then you start to change your, your mindset. Look, knowing... And hearing that information from the doctors and knowing that there's a timeline, yeah, it's it's pretty confronting. It's hard. But at the same time, it gives you a little bit more purpose in everything you do, I suppose. And I'm not saying that people don't live the right way or um, have purpose in what they do, but it's more around, and I've, I feel comfortable in this space because I know I've always done this anyway. Caring for people and loving people has always been a really important part of me as a person. And I'm glad that I've always had that in my DNA and that I haven't had to wait for something like this for it to come out. So I feel quite lucky that I had that in in me already. Mm. And then, yeah, for me, every day was just, okay, keep doing what you're doing what you have been doing. Tell your wife every single morning and every single night, regardless of where we're at. We've had a disagreement about what we bought at the shops, or the show that I'm watching, or the fact that she's missed the start of the Bachelor because of me, or <laughs> that I start every day and I finish every day with I love you and a kiss and a hug and a proper hug, not just a you know token, a proper hug, and I do that with my boys every day. If I do that every day, I'm happy. That makes me happy. Mm-hmm.
1: Do you think it's purpose or do you think it's intention? I know they're similar words. But they uh, it's different. intention, I think people definitely.
0: Are people have purpose. Well, they use the word purpose, yeah. but it's the intention. It's the it's the strength of purpose. It's the, the meaning behind it. It's whether or not it comes from up here in your head or whether or not it comes from here in your heart and in your gut. And then for me, that's important. If it's just your head, it's just fake. It's got to come from deeper than that mm. to mean something. Yeah, I guess that's where I am at when I think about that sort of stuff. I don't think about it much to be honest anymore. I just yeah. it's day by day, and again, that's all you can do. Anyone can do anywhere. You can't literally. You can't go ahead any further than that because you don't know what's going to happen. So, and that can be quite comforting. It's just wake up, have a good day, be positive around people, engage in conversation. Help where you can try not to get grumpy and angry about simple things like Mm. traffic or (laughs) waiting a bit longer at the uh, counter to get your groceries or putting up with someone's conversation that is boring and lame and going nowhere but you go (laughs) i'll give them time and i'll have that conversation with them why because they need to and they'll walk Mm. away and hopefully they feel better about whatever it is that's gone on that day. So I can't say a lot's changed in terms of the way that I approach things or the way that my headspace is.
1: What does optimism look like to you now? So if we were to go back... 18 months or however long it's been, and obviously you you approach this in a particular way, and there is a level of it's a heavy, difficult thing to process. But then we did get into that space, and we really found a sense of purpose. And the purpose, also, and the intention in this was to heal and get better. And here's the medicine, and this is a period of time, and so on and so forth. Then something like this comes along, six weeks, boom, throws you on your arse, you know, on your ass, and you feel a bit like fuck, and it's a it's a hard bump. It is a hard bump for everyone around, and now you're kind of standing back up again to go. Okay, what is the difference between your version of optimism then and your version of optimism now?
0: Um, it's just a little more real now. Optimism can be, you know, oh, I think now people use a lot of big words and and strong sentences, and you know, speak with real strength and purpose. But then I don't know if they're actually living that or. I, Following through with that, I think there's a, a lot of it out there that just takes up space, and is not supported by action, or behaviour, or attitude. There was probably a percentage of in me that, initially, was maybe a little bit like that. I suppose I wouldn't say much, just a small amount. But as soon as it becomes that next level, and you're like, right, okay, this is now, this is now pretty serious. Um, Not that it wasn't before, but this is now pretty serious. It's again going back to all of those things that you have always stood for and that I stood for at the start of all of this and then just ratifying those things in my own mind. Do you believe in these things? Are you in for this or are you not? Can you speak about things in this space with conviction because you believe in it? Do you have faith in what you're saying? All of those things, I suppose. It's more about looking back at yourself and going, am I talking shit? And am I just glossing over things? Am I following with action or am I I not? And it's just getting back to that and going, I've just got to get back to that course that I was on before and lots of positive actions and lots of positive conversations and less pity and enjoy the moment and enjoy the individuals. Because there's a lot to be said for your mindset and what the brain is a very, very, very curious, remarkable thing. As much as it can do horrible things like this it can also do amazing things and you know there are individuals out there that have have got what i've got now at this this level and that are 10 years on and they're all people that have enormous optimism but not just words of optimism they it, and they believe in it and i guess that's what i had to get back to i had that short period where i didn't and i felt sad for myself and i had anger and then i thought to myself much like you're Therapist had said to you, I suppose, is that sometimes you've got to break down in order to just rebuild. I think that's how I looked at it. And I was glad that I was broken because I kind of needed to be. I couldn't just have this tough exterior all the time and try and be strong for everybody. And I needed to break down, and other people needed to see it, I suppose. And I remember the night I came home, my best mate, Ebo, messaged me, and I was like, oh, Jesus, I'm not in there. I'm not in the space for speaking to people he said I'm coming around I'm bringing some beers and I'll bring you some some zero alcohol beers and I said oh you don't have to mate and he said it's not a question I'm coming he came around and I think for him that was the first moment of oh shit maybe he's not Mr Invincible and this is real and I could see in him that it was it was a lot it was his first real acknowledgement of the seriousness of the issue I suppose but it was also just what i needed at that point in time i didn't think i did but i did and i'm really mm-hmm. glad that he came around that night because i managed to get a laugh in as he always does he took the piss out of me and and whatever but it it was good i had a good laugh and it ended up being a different evening than i thought it would be and it was nice but um it's been a long process and it's been like i said i'm in a really good space now might not sound like it after this conversation because we've talked about you know falling into that pit and then climbing your way back out, and now climbing the hill again, and that's what I'm doing, and I feel and I feel like I'm capable of doing it. Um, not feel like I know I'm capable of doing it. Um, yeah, and I felt absolutely. great every day
1: since. What have you learned about people around you in terms of them and their capacity to deal with? a reality that you're obviously dealing with, but I guess in terms of their responses, like we spoke about this at the beginning, I remember in terms of what do you need from people when you are going through treatment? But I guess in these moments, what have you learned about people and or what do you need from them? But I don't know if it's quite quite the same type of question.
0: I guess you learn people can talk a big game in certain areas and then they don't quite deliver in it. People are prepared to sort of look past things and not accept the realistic space that you're in at that point in time and only see super positive outcomes and i think most people do that because they want to keep themselves safe because they don't want to acknowledge what's happening with the other person and i've learned that there's people that come to you i'll give you a really good example my best mate when i was younger for a long time steven Spratt, spratty we were best mates for a long time and um and went through a lot of stuff together and he's a just a brilliant human being, and we still, and he's been living in Sydney for 20 years now, but we we still speak, and um, every time he speaks to me, he doesn't have an ounce of pity, and I, I really like that, he rings me and he speaks to me about, so what's happening, what are you doing, how are the kids, how's footy going, you know, I might bring up a topic from the news, what about this idiot on the news the other night, what about that, and that's been a really, a really good thing, so you get, polar opposites with people you get people that come with pity i've learned i really don't like it i despise pity now i think i don't know if that's too strong a word but i i don't like it it certainly doesn't fill my cup it doesn't build any strength what i like is when people come and speak to me and just have normal conversations and then offer if you ever need help with anything please reach out thank you that's all you sort of need mm. to know because you can keep things normal it allows you to work through stuff in your own way. But if you've got all these different people coming in and then, you know, highly emotional, it can almost become, well, it becomes annoying, I guess. So, um, <laughs> you, and you just think, oh, I don't need that. I just need people around me that are going to be, have strength, be positive. If you can't be part of the solution, then just don't be. And if you want to be involved, be involved in a good way.
1: Talking of involvement, mm-hmm and I think a good in, is the involvement of the community, continuing to get involved in your story and support of you and, and the family and what's been going on. So to kind of lead us towards there before we kind of go to into next steps, what has been happening recently?
0: We had an event that was organised by the leadership group of our senior footballers. It came up quite a few weeks ago. This event popped up on my Facebook page and it was called legs for lee and at that point in time i i looked on it and it was really beautiful It was worded really nicely effectively these young men and they are young men one of them in particular niska jason Niskahus. his father passed only a year ago from cancer and he was one of the first on board to go we need to help this family which is enormous from someone that's been through that so recently mm. and i had a lot of respect for him before this but Uh, Now I have just an enormous amount of respect and love for him as an individual and he kicked this event off with a a group of other guys and they called it Legs for Lee and and it was basically inviting people from the football community or from our community, anyone that was on the the Port District's Football Club page, saying we're going to do a run, a ride or a walk to Henley and back and then we're going to have a fundraiser afterwards. And I thought, well, it sounds pretty cool i better get on the bike for this one i better ride <laughs> um so i did and then a group of us thought henley beach was a little bit short so we'll ride to the bay and back so we rode to the bay and we rode back and and that was great it was fantastic for my head not so great for my legs they're a bit sore the day after but it sort of <laughs> kick-started for me as soon as max goes back to school next week that i'll build into some exercise in that space but they organized this event and about 200 people turned up for the ride, run, walk. Not just footballers, local people from the community. There were dads that were granddads that haven't ridden a bike for a long time. They're in their mid-70s, jumped on a bike, rode to Henley Beach and back. There were people that I know that do not exercise, would not know how to spell it. <laughs> they got on a bike and they rode down and came back. And I think the overwhelming thing for me on the weekend was seeing everybody... I didn't get one ounce of pity. That made me happy to start with. But to Mm. see all of these people there for a purpose, they were all really happy. They had fun. It was a great morning. Everyone got a great amount of exercise. Some of the boys clocked up 22 kilometres of running. It was an amazing event. Came back to the club, everyone got refreshed. And then we had um, Andrew Jarman, who is an ex-SANFL AFL, footballer, um, very well-known. Is on Triple M in Adelaide uh, on the rush hour and he came to the event. He's an ex-North Adelaide footballer and the Crows. Uh, yeah. Despises anything Port Adelaide, um, <laughs> but he offered up his time and said he'll come and run a lap of the football club in a Port District's premiership jersey and he'll hold the cup above <laughs> his head from our premiership last year and he'll take donations for that. So his little event on his own, he raised $7,000. He came to the club, he ran the lap. It was quite humbling. I think it's the only word I can use for the weekend. It was really humbling to just see so many people come together um, for a purpose. And then we had auctions afterwards and a whole range of things. And it was just a really, when you talk about filling your cup, I think everybody got their cups filled on Saturday because it was Mm. a ton of fun. Uh, It was enormous for my family. It was hard for me to comprehend. I got life membership at the club. Um, that's cool. Which, to a lot of people, that probably you know it doesn't sound like a lot, but to me, at a club that I've been at since I was eight years old and I love and is kind of my happy place, I suppose, that means a lot because there's not a lot of people on the board with life membership. Yeah, it was a really, really significant day and and one that when I got home, I probably had the best night's sleep I've had in a very long time, and I think I fell asleep probably with a smile on my face, so, it was an outstanding day and they raised an enormous amount of money and, yeah, I'm still trying to comprehend it now, I suppose, um, how good it was, how much it meant to me and how successful it was and, and how good it is to know that there's so many people in this community down here. Adelaide cops a lot. Um, is a boring town and the Peninsula cops a lot. You know, it's slow on the Peninsula, but the good thing about the Peninsula is because it is a small place and everybody knows everybody that when there is a an issue or there's a problem that there's a lot of people that are really connected and close and they come together and they're very strong and they do it with intent um and purpose and real meaning and love and and that's that's what i took from the weekend it was it was just uh it was huge so really humbled and proud and and happy
1: yeah beautiful i love that and i think the best part about that is what it really speaks to is you know you were at the centre of it, but the reality of it, part of that human experience is the, the connection, the community, the purpose, the meaning. I just love that that had all kind of culminated together and I think that's kind of the power of it, right? That's why everyone kind of comes together for it because at the end of the day, it is about you, but it's also about something bigger than all of ourselves as well.
0: What I took from it wasn't about what it did for me or what it's done for my family and it's and, and it's significant. It was what it probably did for the community. I hope they all went away with a feeling of
1: being a service, yeah. Yeah, it's a real service component there. Yeah. Because you're serving a family, you're serving a Yeah. You know, and
0: it's and I guess from there they all know that at some stage if they need help in any way, shape or form that mm. that it's there and that they'll get it. And it was Yeah, like I said, to see the numbers that were down there on the weekend was even the club were blown away. It was just I was a bit embarrassed to be honest, like it was to see so many people there committing for the whole day you know long, long day was overwhelming but people want
1: this, people want to be a part of this, and I think this is a part that we all forget, right? This is a part that we all think the things that are going to bring us happiness are all these material things are not the thing that brings true joy true happiness true meaning to the things that we do are this it's coming together it's that sense of unity it's that sense of service it's that sense of having an intentional experience with other people around you all in the name of something bigger and better than yourselves knowing you're contributing to that and i think you know, there's so much opportunity out there for it. And it's wonderful that it happens for people like yourselves and for your family, because to my family of the support that comes from it, but how much more could we do? Do you know what I mean? Like i always, what really plays in my mind there is, you know, you've got someone like yourself here and I'm now I'm on a bit of a tangent here, but you've got someone like yourself who's sat and you've been given that finite piece of time and your, your perspective of it in terms of, living intentionally seeking out joy and then watching the way that the community comes around that that whole experience can happen amplified across a multitude of different things you know like it's actually at the core of of that human experience and I love hearing it because it's to your point it's the thing that's brought the most joy and the thing that's put you to bed with the smile on your face in what is a really difficult part of your life
0: yeah when people talk about living a full life I think a lot of people Mm. assume that means living to a (laughs) hundred But certainly the perspective and the reality that I have now is, I guess I always have, and that's probably why we had so many people there on the weekend that I don't know why I've always done it, but if there's someone that's needed help at the football club or wherever, I've kind of always put my hand up and gone, who needs a conversation, who do it? I'll go and sit down with them. I'll spend some time with them. I'll invite them over for dinner, whatever is required to sort of get them back on track. So for me, you know, living a full life is exactly what you said. It's get the most out of each day, give back where you can. Doesn't mean you've got to do it all the time. Doesn't mean you can't have fun. Doesn't mean you can't have your own time because that's critical. You've got to have your own time. You've got to do your own things. But where you can, and and if you can, and it's giving back to the community, it's really fulfilling. It's a nice thing to do. So, um, mm-hmm. and the guys did that in spades on the weekend and it was just yeah just amazing so it, yeah, uh brought that. a tear to my eye on saturday it was um but happy tears yeah, yeah. awesome
1: amazing so before we wrap up mm-hmm. we're in immunotherapy mm-hmm. at the moment yep. this is a process to see how we can reduce the growth of the proteins of the cells is that kind of the oh geez the, don't, get te- high level don't get <laughs> um basically the thing to kind of help I guess, buy some more time. reduce. Yeah, it, yeah. it, it
0: okay. buys you more time, I guess, in the hope. Number one for me at the moment is reducing the, the uh, swelling mm-hmm. in that space because if the swelling reduces, then from what I know of it, the treatment can then be more um, focused on treating the, the tumour. There's a guy in Queensland, <laughs> as an example, mm-hmm. who not long ago, he – had a bit of a spell. He was out on a boat, somewhere on the Goldie, celebrating a birthday, drinking, everything. All the things you shouldn't be doing while you're going mm. through this. 12 months later, he's nearly rid of the tumour. But he was at a stage oh, wow. where I'm at now. And 12 months later, so I dragged little bits of positivity from there that, geez, if someone that wasn't looking after themselves can do this, surely there's there's some karma out there. There's got to be. There's gotta be something out there, some something in the universe that is gonna do me a good card at some stage and go, Here's ten years and I'll take that and I'll run with it and and I'll turn it into into more, hopefully. So it's uh, the next process from here is yeah, just continue with immunotherapy. I've got some gene testing that I've had done at um Royal Adelaide. Gene is to determine where the new growth has come from and if they can do that with this gene testing which they don't do a lot of um, you've got to meet a whole range of criteria to get this done so it's i'm pretty lucky to agree um, they can then start targeting with different treatment those areas mm-hmm. so there's lots of different options at the moment my oncologist um, dr abbas has been amazing with his commitment when you talk about purpose he's got real intention i kind of have a soft spot for him because he <laughs> he's got real intention to get something out of this as dire yeah. as it, as it is. He's got real intention and that makes a huge difference to me. That changes my headspace yeah. a lot because I go I just need one person to feel the same way I do that I can get through this and I can change the outcome of this but I I need someone else you know my wife believes in me in that space and I know that my family do. But I need someone that's at the other end of the stick that is dishing out the information mm. to show me that they have that same thought, and he does. So that gives me real strength in that space.
1: I think that pretty much gets us up today. This is quite a long episode for <laughs> those who are listening. In, but and poor little Maxie, getting um, you know needing his dad in the background there, but he's done very well. He just now. snuck me in a but... little
0: um a little treat. I left him out there with his um snack box as he calls it uh which means uh half fruit and um half treats he brought me in one of them um and just put it on the uh on the bed here next to me so a very beautiful little boy and uh very nice very kind heart both of them him and jack jack's just a little bit rougher that's all (laughs) (laughs) <laughs>
1: yeah Jack's just a little rougher in his approach but he's got a good heart yep. alright perfect and then uh, I think we will catch up again on here soon and I think we might even have some guests who are coming on here as well but we will we will kick these back off again and get them moving we just had a little bit of a break in between
0: Yeah. I've got treatment this Friday right. our sister Rachel is flying in and she's taking me so this will be a new experience for Rachel on Friday um, to take me to treatment <laughs> and see what it involves and um, yeah. It'll probably give us some perspective around what Laura does a lot, yeah. and has done for two years now. So awesome. what I'm really looking forward to seeing it.
1: You've got her and Jay coming down this weekend, eh?
0: Uh, I only just found out about Jay, the sneaky bugger. I was wanting him to come the week after when we, we uh, move into our new home that we bought.
1: You just want him to help you move, isn't it? <laughs> no, we would be moved.
0: I just wanted him to come and see the place. I remember that. Um, and I, yeah. we don't have any space in here for him to stay, so he's gonna stay down the road. So, um, yeah, yeah, and it's next to a pub, so there's every chance I won't see him for the whole weekend. Pretty much. Yeah, Yeah, I think that'll
1: be it. (laughs) (laughs)